Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Good morning to those of our listeners and watchers on the web and on our radio station and uh, those at our Mecca campus. Thank you and welcome to our fellowship today. What a wonderful day it is in the life of a Christian. Why? Because life is always good as a Christian. It wasn't before, but it is now. I could probably get an amen there. If nothing else, just to make sure you're awake and alive today. Yeah? So today, friends, I want to speak to you about the next part of our series, uh, which is why do I need the church? And I have told you from the beginning that I believe that we think we know why we need the church, but I aim to show you that unfortunately in the church today, we've lost our way a little bit. Not not so bad that we can't get it back, but I want us to go back to the heart of why Christians need the church. And I begin to show you several things. First of all, we learned in our first message, we're better together. We've always been better together. And we learned last week that we are better praying together. Amen? And now today we're going to learn that we are better building together. You know why? You would think that the church would know that you're better building together. First of all, we're always better when there's strength in numbers, yeah? Always. But the thing is, we're starting to build our own little kingdoms as individuals in the church. And I'm starting to see that pretty much church-wide, not just here, but everywhere. And if we're not building as individuals, we're building it as our little kingdoms on every pocket around the church of different denominations and independents everywhere in the world today. And we seem to be in this competition with one another. There's, there's no competition amongst us in God's kingdom. He said it's the church. Amen? People say, is it true that we really came from the Roman Catholic Church? Yes, we really did. And somebody somewhere is going to hear that and say, no, we didn't. And I'm going to say, yes, we did. Because that was not really the first church, but it was the second church. The first one was the Eastern Star Church. Right, Pastor Bob? Eastern Star. And that's what Jesus said upon the earth, and it mutated sort of into the Roman Catholic Church when the Romans couldn't help themselves because Paul went there, got a bunch of the officials saved, and so they started taking over and tried to make it a state religion. It sort of became somewhat like that, but then uh, some really smart people in the Roman government decided, no, that we shouldn't have control over the church. Uh, we should just promote it. And they did, hence the Roman Catholic Church was born. Now, we're still the Catholic Church. Small c means universal. And then Protestantism came from that, Anglicanism came from that, and then, of course, we uh, broke it down into uh, Protestantism in different forms, uh, such as the Wesleyan Church, the Free, free Life, uh, or the, the Free Methodist Church, the Meth- United Methodist Church, uh, the Church of God Anderson, uh, the Presbyterian Church, and so on and so forth, United Missionary. There's a whole bunch of them. Then we have our Baptist brothers and sisters that are a little different than we are in theology, but I understand where they come from. The fact of the matter is, 
We all agree, all of us, Roman Catholics, Protestants, Anglicans, we all agree on the main principles of Christianity. And it is on those things that we are united and should be. We believe in a holy trinity. We believe that Jesus is necessary for salvation. We believe that we as people, we were fallen, and there is one baptism, there is one spirit, and there is one heaven. And there's only one way to get there. Amen? That's what we believe. And if that were preached in every church across the globe, and we stop being separated by building our own little kingdoms in every little church, well, are you Christian? Well, I, I go to Maryland. Well, are you Christian? Well, I go, I'm a Catholic. Well, are you Christian? Well, I'm a Wesleyan. Hey, look, <laughs> we, need to, we need to delete those lines. We need to delete those lines because together we are Christians. And every pastor I know, everyone I know would agree, regardless of what church they pastor at. That's fact. And we need to get back to the basis. Why do you need the church? Because we're better when we build together. Don't build your little tiny little kingdom around you, around your particular church that you attend. Let's build the kingdom together and make a difference in the world. Because that's what Jesus came to do. Amen? And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to look at the first seven verses. And then we're going to uh, skip 8, 9, 10 and go to 11 through 16. Just because we don't need to talk about all the other things he's, he has in there. There's two points I want to make with that. Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, and I'm reading this morning uh, the, uh, the um, uh, Christian Standard Edition. He says, Therefore, I, a prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, get this, stunningly, in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is above all, who is in all and through all. And now, he says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And he himself, verse 11, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers, equipping all of the saints, however, for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith. Now, did you hear that? Until we all reach unity in the faith. He doesn't care what church you're attending. He wants you to have unity in the faith of Jesus Christ, regardless of what your job in the church is or where you attend. Unity in the body of Christ. And in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity. In other words, is Paul demanding that we grow in maturity in the Christian faith? Is he? Is he? Is he? You sure? Positive? Well, some of you are, some of you aren't. You know why? Because some of us don't want to be mature because then we think we're more responsible. You better believe it. 
But there's no way of lagging behind. God wants you to do this. You know how? Because it's going to be measured by the fullness of Christ within you. That's what he says. And he's going to expect and demand you to be full of Christ and exude him. I want to be filled up so much with the Holy Spirit that it flows over in and out of me. It runs over, yeah? How many of you have ever uh, opened up a two liter of soda and poured it into a glass and you try to get it as full as you can without the foam right? And then before you know it, you're like, oh, it got too much. And it starts to run out and you, you pick it up real quick and try to suck off the top. So it doesn't run all over the place. Who's done it? You might not want it to run out of your glass, but you want the fullness of Christ to run out of you. So it runs everywhere and everybody sees it. This is one time that you want it to flow over. Amen. That's what Paul is saying. He says, this is what happens in verse 14. When that happens, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning and cleverness in the techniques of deceit. In other words, he's saying that humans are pretty good at deceit. Satan will come in and teach people what he says is a Christian, and it won't be. Has that happened? Yeah. But speaking the truth, how? In love. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, and the head is Jesus Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. In other words, just like your body can't function without certain limbs and parts of it, neither can the body without any one of us being there. And we're all called to do different things and all necessary. In this passage, my friends, Paul is showing the body of Christ how the building blocks go together to make a firm foundation that will structurally support what we call the church. And when that happens, it directly builds the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? It directly builds. We have to have a firm foundation. Each individual church is only part of the foundation. And the building blocks, which are the people, eventually, as we begin to build, we come together. So that our church matches the one down the street and across town and around the world. We're all building together. And when we build bigger and greater and stronger and higher, eventually, as we build out, we come together and we merge. And before you know it, you can't tell who's who, but we just belong to the body of Christ. That's what... He envisions. And Paul explains that the Christian life is this, what I call, family affair. It's a family affair. Because no believer can grow alone. And if you do, you're not a believer. Because he doesn't build that way. God doesn't say, build your own kingdom. We're trying to. And God's like, no, no, no. Tear it down and build again. In the manner way that I taught you. See, we don't, we don't want to start over. We've started building individual lives as Christians and individual churches as Christians, and God's trying to tear them down and build them the right way. But we don't want to tear them down because we've already accomplished so much, and everybody hates to start over, right? But here's the thing. When I'm doing something and I know it isn't right, 
I would rather tear it down and do it right so that it works properly. Anybody with me there? Some people want to force it to work the bad way. It never works. And if it does, it's only for a little while. And it's temporary. And it's usually pretty weak somewhere. That's why God says, let's tear it down and rebuild it. Now, the fact is, we support one another through dedication, through our identification in Christ, through spiritual maturity, and through instruction and edification. And that's a big word. That's how we build together. And this sermon, I think, answers the questions of, first of all, how do we help each other show, know, grow, and flow in the body of Christ? And I took a long time putting those together. Okay? Had to come up with words that kind of went together, you know. And so Paul then moves from teaching about what we should believe in chapters 1 through 3 to how we should behave in chapters 4 through 6. And I think we struggle as Christians because we don't really necessarily want to know how we're supposed to behave because we want to behave the way we want to. Christians want to be Christians in their own manner and way. But God says, no, you, 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 you can't. That's why he told Peter, when Peter said, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, unless I wash you, you can have no part of me, man. So, you, you, you know, you don't, need, you don't need to be resaved. I don't need to give you a whole bath. Just, just, just wash your feet. You know, I, I just need to guide you here. You know, you have to build with me together. You need guidance in this. And, you know, I, don't you think it's a scary place if Christians, when Jesus comes to give you guidance, and you can, no, I, I, I don't need it. Uh, isn't, isn't that a dangerous place to be? Well, we're saying, no, I, I don't need to be guided. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Thank you very much. And Jesus is like, what, what? No, listen. He puts his arm around. He says, now listen. And you're like, no, no, listen. And you, you're like, no, no, I got this, really. Don't you trust me? I, I've done that. I'm like, no, Lord, I, I got this. Don't you trust me? Has anybody done that with God before? Right? Come on now, be honest. Have you done it? You, maybe you didn't know you did it. And then, and then he gets a little stronger, and he, he puts his arm around you, and you try to get away, and he, he hangs on your, your belt buckle or, or your shirt. He says, no, no, listen. And then he spins you around and looks you in the face and says, listen. Look at me here. Right? And, you know, and now you know he means business and he's serious. Right? And I think, you know, I'm thinking, okay, God. But here's the thing. And then I think to myself, but why did you resist all those other two or three times you try to get your attention? Listen. Okay? I need you to build with me. We need to tear this out. This isn't right. If you're building a home and your contractor puts the frame in and the windows don't fit, the, you, don't, you don't want them to force things or you don't want them to force door. You don't want them to force things. You want them to tear out what's wrong and build it properly. Why? So it stands, first of all, in its structural integrity. And not only that, that it doesn't, it's not a leaky sieve to the elements. You want your home to be built right. Everybody in here does. I promise you. You're like, well, I spent good money on this. You're going to do it right. Anybody with me here? Then why are we trying to take shortcuts on a Christian building? When it isn't right, let God tear it out and build it his way. This is what Paul's trying to tell us. And so he leaves the subject of Christian doctrine and then moves into the subject of Christian duty. Okay? He, he, he goes into what your responsibility as a Christian is. And it's largely the biggest struggle in the church today. You know why? Because we struggle of determining what that is. We want to do it our way. 
We want it to be our brand, our flavor, our ideal. And God says, no. I understand that there's certain theological things you're going to differ on with your, with your Catholic brothers and sisters and your, your, your uh, uh, Calvin brothers and sisters and the, difference, the small differences that we have. I get that. But on the basis of salvation, who Christ is and what he means to us and what the church ought to look like, no, it's the same. And if you're not looking the same as everybody else that's grounded in Christ, then you need to tear down and rebuild it so that it is. Because you're building something that's not going to stand, not going to last. It's not going to be structurally where it needs to be. And that's a problem. I think the best thing that I can tell you is a number of years ago, I can't remember what it actually was, but uh, Frank got something uh, for Christmas from his grandparents. And, uh, and so he, he solicited me to help him put it together. And so I started doing it. And as we're doing it, he's looking at the box. He goes, he goes well, Dad, it, it doesn't look like it does on the box. <laughs> and there's a problem here because clearly <laughs> I didn't read the instructions because I figured I could do it without the instructions. And God's like, well, you're trying to do that in your Christian life. The instruction manual's right here. You, you, need, to, you need to go back. to don't, don't make it up as you go. Start looking at the instruction manual, and I promise you, we'll build it right together. And so we had to tear down what we had to make it look like it did on the box. And I realized, and I admitted, I needed to go back to instructions. If, if, you, if, you can't, if your kids or people won't allow you to build something that doesn't look like it does on the box, then God certainly is not going to allow you to build it your way and manner when it doesn't look like what he intended. Amen? We've got to do that. We can't force God into our plan. It doesn't work. Never has, never should. He's God after all. We're not. So start making it about him. And so finding the, the, the desire and the time to serve faithfully in the local church, friends, is what our struggle is. The desire and the time. We want to. And here's what we'll say, just like uh, um, Father Rich has told us a week ago. You try. Whap. God says, I, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever felt God do whap on you. I think he has, and you didn't know it was him doing it. God says, don't, don't try with me. Do it. Because if you try, you'll make it with me every time. You see, don't say you'll try when you have no intention of it. Trying means you had good intentions. But it should mean I'm actually going to do it. And that's what Paul is talking about. In this chapter, he speaks about our faithfulness, our fellowship, our favor, and our formation. You see that? I'm putting those things together. And unfortunately, I couldn't find another F, so it's our advancement. There was one I didn't think you know the meaning to the word. It was a reach anyway. So you got four F's and an A. And in school, that might not work very well, but here it works very well. So basically, the thing to remember is that the Christian was made for community. We're all made for community. You may not like being in community. There's some of us that are kind of introverts. Who's an introvert in here? Anybody? Come on. Be honest. Okay. You don't necessarily like community. And if you do, you like it only when you're able to deal with it. I'm sorry, but this is one of those times when you, you, you can't do that. God demands that you have community. I realize people are going to get on your nerves. Maybe your last one. 
It's okay to separate from them from a little bit. But you go back to the community after you adjust yourself and get, you know, and calm down. You go back to community. Why? Because God demands it. We're made for community. In other words, the Christian only matures within the community. What? You're saying I can't mature on my own? No, you can't. Paul says it. Jesus demanded it. I'm going to show you in a few minutes that he did. Okay? So you can only mature a community, and the Christian can only minister within the community. We're trying to do both on our own. We, we can't. It takes a community to do it, and it'll only be powerful within the community. This is why we need the church, because we can't really stand alone. We're trying, but it isn't working. We can't stand alone, and nor should we try. Jesus never gave us the provision to stand on our own. Never once. Not ever. That's why he brought them all together. He said, I know you come from different backgrounds. I know you think differently. I know all of that, and I know that you're not going to agree. But the fact of the matter is, I called you together to be my disciples, and you're, by golly, going to work as a team. And he made them do it, too. And then he said, not only that, start bringing others into this thing we call the church and build it and get along. <laughs> and they're like, well, how are we going to do that? And he said, through me, not yourselves. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. In other words, we're going to have to saturate ourselves with the Word of God. There's a word. Say that. Saturate. You've got to saturate yourselves with the Word of God. I want to know who in here and who online and who's watching is going to saturate themselves in the Word of God. And I'll bet you somebody in here hasn't been doing that lately. I bet you we could all admit that I've scanned it. Maybe I've read a little bit, but I haven't saturated myself with it. You're going to have to saturate yourself in the Word of God. And when you do that, now... This stuff will become easier for you. You'll start to see how you're going to do it, how it's going to work. So you saturate yourself with the Word of God. Then you're going to have to submit yourself to the Spirit of God. Saturate and submit. And when you do that, then you can surround yourselves with the people of God. Otherwise, you're never going to get along with them. If you're not saturated in the Word, if you're not submitting right to the Spirit within you, because it wants you to do that, then you can't surround yourself with people because you'll not like get along with them. You won't like them. Saturate in the Word, submit to the Spirit, and then surround yourself with His fellowship. So how do we do it? Because everybody in here is like, I, I get the concept, I want to. But I don't know. I don't necessarily like so-and-so. Sometimes I don't even like what I'm hearing in the Word. <laughs> right? Because if i got to change me, I realize I can't really change me. He has to change me. Because when I try to change me, I fail at it. You know what? I don't want to change me anyway. God says, but what, what if, you know, he told Peter, what if, what if I need to, though? What if I need to change you? What are you going to do? Well, there's your submission. You see? So here's how we do it. First of all, we support one another through our dedication to Christ. See, you, you can't support each other unless you're dedicated to him. You won't. You'll support self or what you agree with. You might support somebody if you agree with them, but you won't support them otherwise. But through the dedication to him, see, it's all through him. Now you can. See, that's why I like to put people in a big circle and put Christ in the center. 
You can't see anybody else in that circle unless you go through him to do it. If you do that, now things change. you'll have his eyes, his spirit. And that's how you build his body. There's, there's no other way to do it. And you know how you do it? You have to live worthy. That's what he said. There are two key phrases in these verses, and the first is to live worthy. Worthy of what? Well, Paul is challenging Christians because the Spirit is challenging us as Christians. He's challenging his readers because the Spirit is. It isn't just him making it up. I know some Christians struggle with the Apostle Paul, and they'll want to say something like, well, if Jesus didn't say it, well, then... Uh, <laughs> Jesus put his Spirit in Paul and met him specifically on the road... And said, you're my disciple, whether you were part of the 12 or not. And you're going to be the one who builds my church outside of Jerusalem. You're going to take my word, my spirit, to the Gentiles, and you're going to build them. Paul said, no. That's a Jew thing. And Jesus said, no. It's an international thing. And then when he had done it, and the Gentiles were so eager and, 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 you know, trying to suck up the word and trying to, you know, grow. And then God said, now I need you to go back to the Jews. And like, Paul's like, no, they ain't going back to those guys. And Jesus said, listen, you're going to bring the Jew and the Gentile together. You're going to do that. I need you to do that. And so when Jews and Gentiles alike tell me, well, if Jesus didn't say it, look. Jesus gave it to Paul. In fact, if you want to get technical, Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. What are you going to do with that? You're going to ignore that? Mm -hmm. Jesus made Paul his missionary to humanity. <laughs> and the Apostle Paul's telling us, you've got to live worthy here. You've got to live worthy as a Christian. Why? Because the Spirit is challenging us just as it's challenged him. To do what? To live a life that is devoted to Christ and then reflects the grace that we have been given. That's what he's asking you to do. In fact, the idea is we should try to live up to the goodness that God has first shown toward us. You got to live up to that. Okay? And that's why we have to display the type of godliness that reflects our attitude and gratitude toward him. You know, I have to live life that proves I'm grateful what he did in me. I've got to be grateful that he saved me and allowed me to not only be his child, but his partner in ministry, right? That he trusts me to live and build his kingdom, right, in the manner way that he wants it to be built. That means I have to surrender, right? I have to submit. I have to saturate. Because otherwise, I'm building it in a manner way that the architect didn't draw, If your contractor doesn't look at the plans that your architect put together, the house isn't going to look in the manner and way that you desired it to be. That's a problem. And we're building our kingdoms in a manner and way that the architect did not draw. And he's saying, go back to this plan, and guess what? You'll start building in the way. Friends, the thing is, many Christians today don't show their gratitude toward God. We don't, we're not grateful for what he did. And you need to be grateful every single moment of the day. You know, we got to get back to what he did for you, right? And be grateful for it. We're taking it for granted. You know why we're not? Because we've taken our salvation for granted, number one. And two, it isn't as important to us as it once was. Friends, I don't care what you're doing in life as a Christian. 
I don't care what's important to you. That's all well and good, but you've got to go back to the importance of your salvation. <laughs> you can never forget how important salvation is to you. Because without it, where are you? You're lost. You're gone. History. Never happened. So we got to get back to what he did so that we can be what he needs us to be in building his kingdom. That's where it starts. Two, we support one another through our dedication to Christ by keeping unity through excellence and peace. What, can they go together? <laughs> the problem with it is sometimes we're just trying to be so excellent on our own that we're not peaceful with others. <laughs> there, there, see, there's a concept. Christ put them together. Paul puts them together because the Spirit does. We separate them as humans because they usually don't go together. But the fact is, we have to keep unity through excellence and peace. The key phrase is, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Didn't he say that? Okay? So we're to diligently endeavor to live worthy of our gift that he gave us, then live and act humbly because of the gift, and then live in complete unity with others in our church. It, friends, it, if you can't get along with one another here, you're not going to get along with one another out there. If we can't get along here, we're not going to get together with the churches that we're supposed to be building with. And if we can't get, get along as Christians, how in the world are we going get to get together and get along as a society? You can't. And that's exactly what he's calling us to do. Now, I have to tell you, he, he, he says we should get this, make every effort. And I, I, have, I, I struggle there because I know I haven't made every effort. I've made a few, but not every one. You with me here? We're to make, what does every mean to you? That means you are to wear yourself out making the effort to get along. <laughs> you know, I think we sort of limit that because I'm not sure I want to make that second effort because I've done, I've already, I've tried and they didn't bite. So you know what? I'm absolved of it now. No, no, you're not. You're to make every effort. That means never stop. Uh, aren't you glad that he didn't? Aren't you glad he made every effort for you? Never stopped? You see, this, 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 is, this is hard on us. Because we know we haven't. And God isn't trying to make you feel bad. He's trying to encourage you. Because he knows that if you, if you will make those efforts, every one of them, that we'll all get along, and the churches will all get along, and the devil is going to have a hard time defeating it. Amen? And that's what we want. So make every effort to live in and with excellence for the church and within the church. And we're going to have to live in excellence toward the church and to live in excellence in our engagement with the church. In other words, here's what he says. Going to have to be a peacemaker. Problem is, we don't know what that is. And usually the human ideal of what a peacemaker is is false and wrong. Okay? And, and I know that what, we, what we've always said in the church, and I have to tell you, the church has been wrong for years. The church has been wrong about what being a peacemaker is. I'm going to show you the difference. I've shown it before. I'm going to show you today, too. There's a big difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. We've been told that humility and humbleness means to be a doormat, lay down, and let people do whatever they want to you. you show this cheek, then show that cheek, and then throw, show the backside, and whatever else they want to smack, let them do. To a point, that's right. That's what Jesus said. But I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes, to be a peacemaker... You're going to have to be assertive and say, that's enough. That's wrong behavior. 
and you're not going to do it anymore here. Okay? And as a pastor, it's tough to do that to people, but we have to. Peacemaker isn't peacekeeper. Keeping the peace means says, oh, let them just do what they want. No, because it's just going to get worse. Okay, that, that's, that's not what Jesus is saying. It's not what Paul is saying. And so we have to understand the difference between them. When all we see is ourselves, what we want and how we want it, when we want it, then we're not going to be interested, friends, really in peace. We're interested in our way. Being a peacemaker sometimes means not getting your way. Being a peacemaker means sometimes what you're going to have to do is do things because they're right, not because you like it. And let me tell you something. You want to learn that, that, that valuable lesson? Become a pastor. Because you're going to have to do things God's way and the right way regardless of if you like it or not. And it's tough. And you can't just say, well, I'm the pastor, so we're going to do it this way. You better be sure it's God's way when you do that because he will hold you doubly accountable. <laughs> and I'm very conscious of that. And I make sure that every person that wants to become a pastor under my leadership understands it isn't what you think it is. <laughs> and you're going to be accountable for that. So when I tell you something, there's a reason why I've told you. Because I know who's accountable. Right now, it's me. When you're on your own, it's you. And that, friends, is where teaching a pastor is the most difficult. Because we all have our own opinions about how to do things. There is a reason why senior pastors are senior pastors. They've done it your way already. You think they haven't. You think you're going to show them something new that they haven't seen. I assure you, they probably have seen it. The longer in, in ministry they've been, they've probably done it all. There's very few things you're going to teach them. Now, sometimes learning new things is a good idea. I get that. But mostly, reinventing the wheel does not work. <laughs> okay? I've probably been there and done that. And I'm telling you, the pastors I've served under, when I tried to do the same thing, told me, you're trying to reinvent the wheel. Stop it. I've been there and done that already. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's not fresh. It's been tried before. And there's a reason why we're doing it this way. And I just need you to get on board and do it with me. It's the same with congregational members. I love ideas. I want you to have ideas. I want you to have fresh things to bring. But the fact is, who's responsible? I am. And every pastor is. In any ministry that any of you heads, you're responsible. Right? You're responsible for that ministry. Every one of you is. It's called leadership. And Paul is calling all of us in the congregation to leadership, guess what? Not in this church, but in the kingdom. Because it all goes together. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes we're compelled to get our way and have others hear how we're thinking and feeling. I assure you, we'll be compelled to do that. We want to make sure that people know. But that doesn't make peace. Why? Because we're still self-protective, which means we're self-centered. Did you realize that when you're self-protective, you're self-centered? Now, I'm going to tell you something. Vulnerability is hard. <laughs> it's difficult. And it bites sometimes, right? But friends, God is requiring us to be vulnerable with him and one another. That, he, he, he. Do you think it was tough on the Apostle Paul to be vulnerable? I know so. I know his personality. I've studied him more than any other apostle in the whole scripture. And I'm telling you. He struggled with it. He, it, was, it was hard on him. He didn't, he didn't like women in authority in the church. But did, he didn't forbid it. Because <laughs> he knew that God opened the door for it. I understand why he didn't like it. 
the women he was around were emotional. And they caused problems in the church because their men wouldn't lead. He set the hierarchy and said, look, okay? The fact is, I don't care what your gender is. If your eyes are plugged in up here and you're focused there and you're godly, then you should be a leader. God calls you to it. Amen? That's the way it is. And so, basically, our way isn't going to get us anywhere. Other times, when something should be said, we won't because we won't want to offend someone else or rock the boat, so to speak. Right? We've all been there a time or two. That's being a a peacekeeper, not peacemaker. Unfortunately, the peace doesn't last long because we failed to correct poor behavior and poor attitudes. We, We need to correct poor behaviors and poor attitudes in the church. But Jesus said, and Paul said, do it out of love. Not discipline. Discipline might be part of it, but that's not your basis. I think that's why parents used to say that that famous phrase, it's going to hurt me more than it does you. You didn't understand that. I didn't understand it. But maybe I think some of the parents did. And I'm glad that my parents corrected me. Because I've seen what happens when parents don't correct. Anybody seen that, witnessed that lately? Okay. So a peacemaker will never be self-centered. They'll never be self-protective. Not ever. They'll always be obedient to the cause of Christ and to the word of God every time. And they'll be obedient to the word by confronting the poor attitudes that they see. They'll be, they'll be obedient by correcting and confronting the bad behaviors and the self-centeredness, but doing it in love. Unfortunately, some Christians think that love means going along with whatever a person wants to think or do, but it doesn't. That's not what it means. And if we're really doing it out of love, then God will approve of what we are doing. You understand? If you're really doing out of love, then God will approve what you're doing. Okay, so we need to support one another through our dedication to Christ. Secondly, we have to support one another through our identification in Christ. If your Christianity doesn't reflect Christ, then it's not Christianity. (laughs) And listen, not what you think Christ is. We have made serious errors in the church by assuming we know what Christ is. If you're going to tell me that Jesus was, was so humble, now be careful with this, that he never got angry and never pointed a finger at somebody and never said, knock it off, you are wrong. Because the Lord was a warrior. And he stopped poor behavior. And he told it like it was. And if they didn't like it, that's just too bad. Some people don't think Jesus ever did that. He always just... He just always was so soft and sweet. I can assure you he was not. He did it when it was necessary. And he also was the other way when it was necessary. See, we have to understand the depth of who Jesus is. Now, I have news for you. We're all the same in the eyes of Christ. (laughs) Nobody in any other church or anybody in your church is higher in Christ's sight than anybody else. We might be appointed to higher positions. But we don't mean more to Christ. Does that mean that the saint that's lived their whole life and done unbelievable things like Billy Graham and others like him means the same to Christ as the person who is the most vilest offender you could ever believe and just now got saved? Is there any difference? No. None. Zero. <laughs> that stuns people in the church to hear that, but that's, that's the word of God, you see. Paul reminds the church that we're immersed in baptism together in one body. That's the bond of peace. That's what brings us. We all have the same spirit living within us, and we're all identified with Christ by the same plan of salvation. Mine's no different than yours. 
Same plan. Anybody? This unites us, friends, into one family with the same future, the same inheritance, because we have the same father. Right? None of us is going to get more than the other, except for the position at the banquet table, the crown that you receive. But it's the same salvation. In fact, Paul tells us that Jesus is our Lord. He's the same Lord for all of us. No Christian has more and no Christian has less of God available to them than any other Christian. Did you hear that? None of us has any more or less than any other Christian. We're all recipients of the same love, the same grace, the same mercy, and the same God who is our Father. All of us. We display His Spirit. We believe in His one and only Son. And the only way any of us has less of God within us is if we choose to limit God's control in our lives. And we've all done that now. That's where there's a differentiation. That's where there's a difference. That's where we're not the same. We've, we've, some of us desire to limit God's exposure and control in us more than others. And the surrendered Christian who allows God to have more control will always have more of God in them because they choose to, not because it was less available or more available. Amen? The amount of God in you depends on you. It always has. See, this is, I don't, I don't know that we're told that often. I don't, I don't think we're reminded of that. I don't know that we want to talk about that so much. So as we begin to acknowledge and display these truths, because we're immersed in the word, we can't help but support one another through our identification as a real Christ child in the king. And when we do that, friends, we're his. And when we don't, then we're not really Christians at all, no matter what we might want to think or believe. God determines what a Christian is, not what we've made it or what we think it is. We've misconstrued what Christianity is because we've misconstrued what Christ is. And if we think that he's meek and mild and will never hold you accountable for your sinfulness, <laughs> then you've misconstrued Christianity. And that's why Christianity is no longer as powerful as it used to be because we're allowing sin to come in and take away the strength and the power that Christianity used to have. That's a fact. And that's what makes a difference. It doesn't matter what name's on the front door of your church. It's happening the same across the board. So to make this work, we're going to have to work together as a family. This one and the ones we're connected to. We're all part of the same family of, of God. Why? Because we are a family, aren't we? Remember what I said two weeks ago in the first uh, message of this series? We are family. And I think that Mount Pleasant has done a great job of promoting that and making that work over there. I've said that from day one. I, I give Pastor Aaron Wheaton tremendous kudos for making a family over there. Their life groups work to perfection. Everybody in there, just about everybody is in one, and they have a lot of them, and those people believe in them. I'm telling you. Now listen, friends. That's a concept that should work in every church in America, every church in the world, because we're family. We are family. I, again, I, if it takes you to draw on the jingle from Sister Sledge, that's fine. But you remember it. We are family. You don't have to go to the next part. But we are. 
And the challenge for us is to work and act like we're the same family, with the same future, to love one another like we have the same father, to lift one another up and treat each other like we're actually family. Okay? Uh, we talked about this a little bit. Uh, again, how many of you have sometimes had a, you know, a better time and more success with your church family than you have with your blood family? It happens. Why? Because, again, the same spirit is within us. It draws us together. I'm not telling you to throw your blood family out the window. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, if they're not Christians, let's draw them into us. Amen? But the fact is, together, we're family. So let's walk and live in integrity. Walk and live in the humility that Jesus displayed, not to what we've made it. And walk and live in this unity he demanded. Because that's what he's saying to us. So, friends, to, to, to try to you know, get you to understand all of this, we got to go to point three, and that's we support one another through our maturity in Christ. I think the church has largely uh, lost our way in our, our Christian maturity. I think we love the idea of salvation. I think everybody loves that we got saved and saved, but some churches, that's all they talk about is salvation. Oh, my goodness, we got to have it. But is that where it ends? No. No. You can't just get a bunch of people saved and then not disciple them. Not lead them into a deeper, stronger depth of Christianity and get to the next level and the level after that. You are demanded to grow. We won't let children not grow up. In fact, I think today we're pushing them to grow up faster than we should. To tell you the truth, friends, your 11-year-old is not 16. Your 13-year-old isn't 16. Your 15-year-old isn't 16. And they certainly aren't 18 and 21 like I think they are. Okay, so let's slow that down a little bit. Slow down the wrong things and start building up the right things, like responsibility and respect. Let's go there. How about that? This is what I tell young folks, and I did it when I coached football teams and whatever. I said, listen to me. You want responsibility? You want to grow up? You want to have Fine. Then let's grow up these ways first. When you show you can be responsible and handle the right things as a, as, a, as a good human, okay, then maybe we'll give you some more. Not until. The fact is, growth and obedience are important. That's how we do it. In these six verses, verses 7 to 12, Paul is teaching us that we have all been given the ability, the grace, and the command to mature. But more than that, we've all been given the gifts, the ability, and the command to help others also mature. See, it isn't just about you. Everybody in here is a disciple of Christ. Unless you're not. And if you're going to tell Christ you believe in him and you've surrendered to him and you're a Christian, then you are a disciple. And God is demanding that you start acting like one. And that means you have to make more disciples. Yeah? Isn't every disciple given the command to make more? Are we? How many knows that? Who knows that the scripture by Jesus himself says, make, keep your hands up. Look around, who doesn't have their hand up? If, you, if there's somebody next to you that doesn't know that or believe it, you need to explain it to them. Because that's what Christianity is. And remember, in, in love. Because they probably don't know. So we need to teach people that making disciples is important. Okay? Notice in verses 11 to 12, Paul says, we've been appointed to positions of authority in God's church, and then God himself qualifies and equips. 
you're appointed. And when God appoints, He equips. Amen? This means you've all been given the command, the ability, and the guidance to help others and yourselves spiritually mature. You see, friends, God has equipped His church with every spiritual gift. There's, there's not one He hasn't bestowed. We all differ on what they are and what they're used or not and when. But the fact is, we all agree that there are spiritual gifts, yeah? Don't we? Okay. We all agree that there are spiritual gifts. Both the supernatural kind, right? And the human kind. God appoints spiritual leaders and he equips them. Why? To keep on growing into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what we're for. And as we heard Father Richard say last week, the worst possible thing we can say when asked if we're growing into the true likeness of Jesus Christ would be to say, I'm trying. You, you, you see, twice now I've shown you this morning that to say I'm trying really means I'm considering it. Because if you try, you'll get there. God is the one entity that if you try to be like him, he will make sure that you, 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 you get there. If you try to pray, he'll make sure that you can. Amen? You, you, have, you can't say, I'm trying, and then not do it. If you're trying, you're actually doing it. And friends, if you don't completely like Jesus, then you really aren't trying. See, I, I, think, I think when we say, I'm trying, we don't really love him like we said we do. Because if I really loved him, I would do it. Just like our spouses will tell us, you know, if you, if you really love me, don't just tell me, show me. Every spouse ought to have that conversation. Sometimes we like them and sometimes we don't. Because if, we're, if somebody in the relationship, and my wife and I have been watching uh, some of these, these, these different shows on television, like was it 90 Day Fiance and Love is Blind and the experiments that these guys do. Some of them, the pastors get involved in these experiments. Look, I struggle with them, but they're entertaining. And so I'm learning things as I look at this. And what I found is, if somebody in the relationship isn't satisfied in some way, now we've got a crack. Then we've got another crack. Before you know it, we've got a separation, and all of a sudden, here's what happens. And people come to me, and they say, well, I'm going to divorce. How come? Irreconcilable differences. You know what I tell them? No such thing. There's no such thing as an irreconcilable difference. Every difference is reconcilable. Through him it is. You may not be willing to do it, but it's reconcilable. Anybody? That's the point. So our human wisdom is worthless. We're going to do what we want to do, right? That's why we believe what we want to believe. That's why I've been saying that from day one, and it's a fact. So no excuses here. And we're going to have to develop further, too. Based on this passage, we must discover our spiritual gifts, and then we must develop our spiritual gifts after we've discovered them. We've got to discover them and then develop them. And lastly, we must put our spiritual gifts into practice in God's kingdom. Why? Because that's what brings glory to God. He gave them to you to bring glory to himself. You understand that? That's why they're there. Okay. And then, friends, we're going to have to make sure that we pray for all the pastors, particularly our own pastor and pastoral staff. 
But we need to pray for the other ones too. You know, I pray for the, the other pastors in this town. You know why? Because I know what it's like to be a pastor. And I know that it's only a matter of time that I go through some of the same troubles that they do if I'm not even right now. And I know that people are fickle. And I know that when people are together, we don't necessarily keep our eyes focused here. And so when we don't, now the problems begin. I can show you this. Every single problem, every conflict, every argument, every misconception, anything that goes in the church, and we have them every day just about of some sort. Usually they're small, but they do happen. Every single one of them is because somebody, or maybe not everybody, is focused right here. Because if we were all focused right here, we would not have any problems. Wouldn't have zero. None. Why? The Word of God. And you and I both know we get self-protective. We get our feelings hurt, misconceptions, misunderstandings, right? And then our mind starts thinking, the devil gets in, says, well, you know, well, that person probably wasn't thinking of you. They probably were, and it's probably not even true. And if it is, that's their problem with God. Because clearly they're, they're not focused here. But I can't look at them if I'm not. Amen? So we need to, if we focus here, we won't have problems. None of us will. And that's what he's trying to tell us here. So we have to participate in our local church because it's through the leadership of our pastors and the fellowship of Christians that the body of Christ is going to be built up and edified in the manner that God instructed and demanded. Because we can't build a church on our own. And if we do, it won't look like it's supposed to in the box. You understand? That's the point. So what does a local church have to do? Well, first of all, and here's, here's another point I've got to bring you. The church is going to constantly have to be evaluating, modifying, and changing to meet the needs of not only the people in the church, but the people outside of it. You know the problem with that? We don't want to change. <laughs> and I remember when I first came here, Jimmy will remember, and uh, Marianne, you'll remember. Uh, Carol's not here today. Uh, who is my original board? Original board. You got Craig, Jimmy, you guys remember. Uh, some of you are here with me, but you weren't board members. They'll remember a couple times. In the board meeting, we, <laughs> Craig, you might remember, we were, in a, we were in a board meeting over here. Remember the CM building? And uh, we were talking about something, and uh, there was something you guys were doing. I can't remember. And I said, why are we doing that? And you remember what the answer was, Craig? Because we've always done it. <laughs> and I said, well. <laughs> and I remember. I said it. And I started telling them, well, we should change. We, there's, you know, don't, we're not going to do things because we've just always done it. It's not going to work. Okay, and now we have a purpose behind it. I'm all for it, but we're not going to do it because we always did it. And I remember that somebody stood up and I, Craig will know who it was. We're not going to talk about that. And said, well, I think we should do it. We, we used to do this, blah, 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 blah. I'll never forget. Herbie Jones turned around, looked at him and said, well, I'm not doing it. And I don't see you doing it neither. Remember that? <laughs> and so I had support for the board and I had some non-support on the board. See, that happens. And this is what I told him. Friends, I know I'm not the best pastor in the world. And I know that I don't always do it right. But I'll tell you what I, what I have said to him, And they'll all remember. I will always do what I feel God is telling me is best for the church. doesn't matter if I like it or not. I will do. And as long as he's appointed me here, that's what I will do. And I expect and demand you to do it too. What's best for the church as a whole. And so this is what Paul's talking about here. We have to do the right things. And that means we have to modify evaluate and change 
because we've been so afraid of change that we've been left behind as irrelevant. The church has been so resistant to change that we've been left behind as irrelevant. And now we've tried to become relevant by doing the wrong things. We're trying to do things the way the world wants it and likes it. No, that's not, that's not how you do it. Because what the world likes and thinks might be okay, but it isn't necessarily what God likes and thinks. So you have to make sure that we always do what God says because it's best for the church. We're going to conflict with the outside. I get that. We're going to conflict inside too sometimes. Again, we shouldn't if we're here, but it does happen. I get that. We're human. Either way, we've become irrelevant, and this is going to have to change for one simple reason. Can anybody tell me? You just shout it out. Why do we have to change the fact that we're irrelevant? What's that? Because people need Jesus Christ. That's it. People need Jesus Christ, and they won't listen to us if we're irrelevant. Amen? They won't. So we have to change. So people need Christ, and if his church isn't relevant, neither will he be. Can you, do you get this? If, if God's church isn't relevant, he's not going to be relevant, which is why nobody needs him, you see. And believe me, do they need him? Okay. See, that's the point. Now, I, we got to allow this to sink in and consider why we have to change and mature to be effective in the lost and fallen world. Now, hear what I'm saying to you. We have to change and then mature to be effective in this lost and fallen world. Would you really like me to give you a stunning thought this morning? Is anybody awake enough or attentive enough to get this? We're going to have to change and mature to be effective because the church as a whole has become lost and ineffective. We're, how are we going to minister to a lost and fallen world if we're lost and ineffective? Can't. You can't. You won't. You want to know why people don't want anything to do with the church? Because we are ineffective because we're lost too. We've got to find our way again. We've got to find our way again. Friends, we have to. There's no way to get around this. To a point, the church has also fallen. It has. Because it doesn't look any different than the world itself really sometimes. And isn't the Bible clear about that? Come out from them and be separate. Be a peculiar people. Peculiar in Christ means I'm in Zion. And the day is already here, friends. Not coming, it's already here. Where the church is different than the rest of society. That makes us peculiar to them. The Bible said that was coming. It's here. Lastly, we support one another through teaching, edifying, and instructing in Christ. So, you see, we have to learn to stand on our own. Every Christian needs to learn to stand on their own. Because when you stand on your own as a Christian, that means Christ is living in you and he's the one doing the standing. You see. I think it's good to plug into other Christians sometimes and we need their support, we need their help, their counsel, sure. But every one of us ought to mature to the point that the Spirit of God is so strong in us that we're the ones doing the standing and people have to come to us. A amen? Shouldn't we be doing that in the church? Shouldn't the church be standing that way? There's some truth to the old saying, every tub must sit on its own bottom. In the case of the church, God wants every believer to be a mature and equipped follower of Jesus Christ. 
That, that's what he's looking for. In fact, more than that, God wants every mature and equipped follower of Christ to help others become mature and equipped followers of Christ. That's called making disciples. Remember, I told you, let's come back to this. Making disciples. You see, we're all very aware that this was the last earthly command that Jesus gave us before he ascended to heaven. Didn't he? Isn't that the last earthly command he gave us? Pastor Bob, is it? Is it? Is it? How many of you know that that's the last earthly command? It's called the Great Commission, amen? That's what he said. So this is the message that Paul impresses upon all of us as individual Christians that, and in the church and in the institution that we call the church. In other words, this is mandatory. <laughs> Making disciples is, get this, say it with me, mandatory. Making disciples is what? Making disciples is what? Mandatory. You sure? Okay. Mandatory. It is not optional. He didn't make it an option for you. It's mandatory. If you say yes to Christ and get saved, it is mandatory that you become a disciple and make others disciples. Yes? And we're going to have to stop acting like this is optional to us. Because that's what's happened. We're so disinterested in being a, a, a disciple that we're not interested in making others either. You see, spiritual growth of others is part of the plan of salvation. Write that down. You really need to write this down. You really need to write it on your heart. You need to write it in your head. People don't believe that today in the church. That's where the Satan's got us. Making disciples... And spiritual growth, friends, is part of the plan of salvation. It always has been. We're, we like to separate it so that we can do it at different levels. No. God gave us no such ability or authority to do that. Spiritual growth means making disciples, and that's part of the plan of salvation. He told them. Told you and me. Now, you won't hear very many people say it is, but it is. In fact, didn't Jesus, did Jesus just tell us, get saved, and that's it? Did he ever tell us, just get saved, and that's it? No, but that's what we tell people. Well, just get saved. <laughs> no, a little more than that. That's the beginning footprint, yeah. He commanded and expects so much more of us. The Lord gifted us to cause spiritual growth in others. God guides us to cause spiritual growth in others. He's the one that helps us do it. We're doing it in our own strength. That's, that's worthless. Can't. Weak Christians shouldn't be instructing anybody in Christianity. You understand? If you're a weak Christian, the last thing you should be do, doing is teaching anybody about Christianity, including salvation. If you're a weak Christian and you know it, and most of us do, if you have somebody that wants to get saved or you think they need to get saved, you know what you have to do? Get somebody stronger to lead them there. Because you'll screw it up. I promise you that you will. So, as God gathers us to cause spiritual growth in others, as pastors, we're going to have to teach the Word of God. That's what pastors have to do. And we failed at that across the board too, by the way. Pastors have failed in teaching the truth of the Word of God. We're, we're more interested and placating people, making them feel good. Well, I feel good about hearing the truth because it lets me know where I am. 
And as Christians, as congregational members, we're going to have to grow in the ways of God. Not ours, not society's, but the ways of God. And then we've got to do the work of God because the church of God is built up in and for God. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.